We're going to look at the letter of Third John. We've spent the summer in his uh, sermon, in his sermon and letter, and then third letter. First John is a sermon that was passed around at least to the seven churches in what we would now call Turkey. Second John is an encouragement and a warning. Third John is an individual letter about mostly Second John, I think. This is from the third letter of John. This is the shortest uh, letter or book in the New Testament. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. As indeed you are walking in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also had our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. The presbyter, which is actually the word for elder, which is where we get the name of our system of church government, is who uh, John is writing to. This is one of the very few times in the New Testament that a letter is written to an individual. He's clearly a leader in one of these churches. We're neither told the church that John's writing from nor the one he's writing to because John wants to talk about something else. And as I read those first few verses, how many times does he call him beloved? And this is individual. This is not, he's not speaking to the church. They're friends, and John cares for him like an older brother or a father in the faith. As these churches support one another. So 1 John is a sermon that was passed around. 2 John includes warnings and cautions that are very similar to other warnings um, and encouragements throughout the New Testament. And then 3 John is a personal warning and instruction. Because what happened was John sent cross-cultural gospel workers to other churches and asked them to hear from them, be hospitable Christians, and then support them. And some of the church did that, and some of the church, diatrophies, did not. These cross-cultural gospel workers, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, that's verse 7, were going to continue telling people about Jesus. They were going to have them over for dinner. They were going to sit with them in places of business, and they were going to befriend them, which is what Christians do. Some vocationally, some because that's what Christians do. So John's encouraging Gaius, who is a presbyter in this area. And he is so encouraged that he's walking in the truth. Walking in the truth is following Jesus. Walking in the truth is obeying his commandments, first and foremost, to love God and neighbor. 
Walking in the truth is receiving the wisdom from the community that we find ourselves in, the spiritual community. It's all the things that God commands us to do. The presbyter supports, John is encouraging the presbyters to support the mission. It's very unclear exactly what happened. I wrestled with the text. I was telling uh, Mike Scudder this morning that on Wednesday, I was so sure I was going to preach this text a certain way because I was relatively sure what Demetrius said. But as I kept looking at the text, John doesn't care as much about what Demetrius said, though he's obviously bothered by it. He calls it wicked nonsense as he is his state of heart in harming the church. But it kind of sounds like they had a Janie Garrett who was going to come in and the whole church knew it. And uh, Diotrephes, did I say Demetrius a minute ago? I meant Diotrephes. Demetrius, good. Diotrephes, bad. In behavior, not in ontology, not in their being. Right? Okay. Diotrephes, it's almost like he was both stopping the cross-cultural gospel workers and telling anyone that wanted to be hospitable to them, no, not only should you not do that, but you shouldn't even be at church. I mean, that's what we just get from the text. I'm not getting that from some commentary or some other part of the scripture. That's just from the text. But I was wrestling with this because I, it sounds like Diotrephes is opposing what John wrote in Second John, but John doesn't care to talk about what Diotrephes was opposing him about. He's more concerned with his heart and the way that his heart is affecting the mission of the church. I'm glad that Jeff talked about our missions committee because we believe, and this, this is throughout the New Testament, we believe when it's possible, meaning when you give generously and we're able to do our work here, and then we have a little more, it actually starts that way. We give first to our uh, missionaries and then second to our work. That's the order of the way we do things around here. And this is why. This text, among many others, because we want people who have not heard the gospel to hear it. We want those that have not received hospitable Christian friendship, which is what evangelism is, to receive it. And if we have a role in that, larger than our own role where we find ourselves, then we support it. When John writes Gentiles, he's meaning not followers of Jesus. For him and his faith growing up Jewish, he means people that don't follow Jesus, of course, don't support these people. He's not making an ethnic or racial uh, distinction as much as he's explaining where the money comes from for these cross-cultural workers. And what's so cool about supporting people that have different work than ours to do is it reminds us of our purpose as followers of Christ. Look again at verse 8. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Cross-cultural workers are not better Christians than you. There aren't better Christians than Christians. Christians all worship God and do friendship and faithful presence where they find themselves. Some are called to do that in France or Senegal or Charlotte or Abu Dhabi. Others are called to do it in Canton and Simsbury. We get to support them differently than we might support one another. But the purpose that God has given to every follower of Jesus is the same. It is an incredible calling to be a follower of Christ where you find yourself. And we remember that in part by supporting people who are called to do it elsewhere. 
The presbyter John encourages the presbyters to support the missions, and he challenges the opposition. Sometimes people talk about the early church as though it were all sunshiny and roses because of Acts 2.42, when everything was lovely and everyone was generous and hospitable and friendly. And we ought to just respond if people say that, but diatrophies. Maybe that's the only thing we take from this. When people are talking about how if we could just get back to the early church, the early church was a mess. I mean, have you read Acts 15? Have you read Galatians? You know, Paul is a second-generation Christian who had to challenge James and Peter and the way that they were treating Gentile followers of Christ as opposed to Jewish followers of Christ. And it's okay that they're a mess. In fact, the fact that they were such a mess, I think, points to the trustworthiness, trustworthiness and truthfulness of the scriptures. They didn't all get along. They didn't have a perfect plan. They had to work these things out. And I, I, it took me a while to figure out how I wanted to preach this because it bothers me that we don't know the wicked nonsense that Diotrephes was saying about John. Not sure if Diotrephes is starting his own church. Not sure if he's trying to kick other people out. I think he didn't like what John said in 2 John, but John is not as concerned about that. He definitely tried to disrupt the cross-cultural workers. And here's what I think is so interesting about the scriptures, friends. If you're familiar with the Gospels, you know that John had to learn this lesson also. He heard Jesus say this. This is from Matthew chapter 20. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you remember the backstory to this teaching? I know I'm trying to speed the sermon up, but this is my favorite part of the sermon, so I got to give you all of it. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, the disciples, came up to him, Jesus, with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something, and he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. That's an ambitious mom. <laughs> Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. Those are some ambitious, passionate disciples. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the 10 heard it, they were indignant at the brothers like you would be. But Jesus called to them and said, and then the text that I already read. John is more concerned with Diotrephes heart and what he's doing to the church than what he's specifically saying. And I have news for you that any of you that have been here longer than a year already know. If you do community with us, you will have one of two problems or perhaps both with me or someone else in a position of leadership, power, or influence at the church. You will either be bothered by what happened or how it was handled. And 
what John is saying is, Gaius, you need to begin dealing with this. And when I get there, I'll talk with him also. We have the ordinary means of grace to work out our disagreements and problems. We have prayer, wisdom, lists of good and bad behavior in the scriptures, and we do our best before God. We have other resources than those, but we attempt to work it out. Why? So that our joy may abound. Verse 4 of 3 John is the same as verse 4 of 1 John. The ending of 3 John is that we take joy in the truth. When he alludes to the name and the appearance of God, he's talking about the truth of Jesus Christ, that he came in the flesh. Our joy in the church. It doesn't always feel like joy, but it is that we have spiritual family and joy in the mission, which includes both our cross-cultural workers that we get to support individually and as a church and our mission as a church. We do these things, including conflict, that our joy may abound 